The following episode contains material of a graphic nature and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. body continued today. This is the third effort for the national crew led by a North Carolina missing persons expert and the hope remains as strong as ever. The Marshall student Samantha Burns went missing in 2002. Chad Fultz and Brandon Basham were convicted of killing Burns and a South Carolina woman named Alice Donovan all after a multi-state crime spree. Chad Folks and Brandon Basham have both pleaded guilty to Samantha's abduction and murder and are now sitting on death row in Indiana. It never goes away. You never stop thinking, what if, maybe here, maybe there. It's just something that you always think about. This all started six years ago when Burns was kidnapped. One of her, the men charged with her death recently sent a map to the people organizing the search. So now family and friends are standing by and hoping for closure. Welcome to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brennan Shane. Joining me as always is the beautiful, the lovely. How about we add one more adjective to that, Shay? What is that? The very pregnant? The very pregnant. Annie Weebs. Hi, Shay Bay. How are you? Oh, perfect. With that news, it's amazing. We are adding a new podcaster to the family coming 2020. Baby Shay. Baby Shay. We are so excited to uh, let everybody in on that. We announced it officially on our social media outlets a couple of weeks ago. And a huge thanks to all the outpouring of love and support that we have received. I am growing a tiny little monster inside of me right now, a little tiny Shay. And we're so excited. January 2020, he or she will be here with us. So as I'm recording these podcasts now, You guys, please excuse me if you hear sounds come from my body that I'm not trying to make. Oh, Lord. Because it happens a lot when you're pregnant. All the moms and moms-to-be out there will know this, that um, I burp without command. It just I I was literally talking to one of my coworkers the other day, and mid-sentence, I burped right in her face. It just came out. So this this became a a biology podcast for those of you who are just now tuning in for the first time. I'm so sorry. I try. We'll try to stifle it as we get through this very serious episode, very heartfelt episode, actually. But a huge thanks to everyone who has supported us. And we will share more news with you as we know it ourselves. So with that being said, we also want to give everybody a huge shout out who's gone to our iTunes page uh, via Paranormal Warehouse and left us a five-star review for the podcast. I know we have received an outpouring of love and support for this series on Missing Samantha Burns that we've been doing, and it's it's amazing that people still are enjoying the content that we're putting out here because it means a lot to a lot of people. So that was very good to hear, and uh, if people want to check out the earlier episodes that we did, 
we have 10 other episodes that we did before we did this series. Uh, we called it season one, and it's available on our SoundCloud page. So you can head over there now and check them out. Uh, we have stories on serial killers, on ghost hunting, on the Mothman Festival, and uh, you know, just an array of shows that we've done over the past year. So I just want to give you guys a very special shout out. Continue to go to iTunes and leave us five star reviews because it helps the show. It helps get the show out there even more. And our, our goal is to really help in a lot of these cases and aid, you know, in the support of these families and hopefully keep the cases in the limelight. So that's what we're here for. That's what we want to do. Again, another huge thanks also to Mike Diamond from Paranormal Warehouse for continuing to support Serial Spirits. You guys can hear Serial Spirits on iTunes every Wednesday. We are putting out new episodes. Those are also available on our SoundCloud. But for those of you who are not familiar with podcasting, and I've gotten this question recently, you can go to paranormalwarehouse.com. And Mike has been kind enough to upload all of our new episodes to Paranormal Warehouse's uh, page. So you can go to their website, paranormalwarehouse.com, or follow them on Facebook, Paranormal Warehouse, and catch all of our shows on there as well. Yeah, Paranormal Warehouse has done a great job, you know, setting up everything that they've done for, you know, the paranormal field. And they were, you know, gracious enough to bring us on. We are a true crime podcast. We do bring in the paranormal here and there, but a huge thank you to them. And uh, I'm so glad to be part of that family. So Weebs, what do we have today? What are we getting into today? Okay, so today it's kind of a two-part journey here. We are actually releasing two episodes of Serial Spirits this week. The episode that we're recording right now is going to release this week on iTunes and Paranormal Warehouse. But we have a second episode we are releasing this week that is also part of the Missing Samantha Burns series. The reason we are not releasing this one on iTunes or Paranormal Warehouse is due to the content. In 2017, a local man named Jimmy Heisel posted a series of ridiculous Facebook Live um, just post of him talking about his new wife claiming that he she knew where Samantha Burns was buried, and that they had somehow been involved in it. Jimmy Heisel goes on this rant on these Facebook Live posts that we feel it's very important to still let you guys know that this happened because to this date, that is the most recent search for Samantha that has occurred. However, due to the content rating that we support on Paranormal Warehouse and on iTunes, we have decided not to release it there because of the language and some of the things that Jimmy Heisel details. So if you guys want to hear this bonus episode of Missing Samantha Burns, the Jimmy Heisel files, you guys go to our SoundCloud page. That one will be available on Wednesday as well. You guys will not see that one on our iTunes page, but you can find it on our SoundCloud. Listener discretion, absolutely advised on this one. We attempted to put this out as an episode for Paranormal Warehouse and iTunes, but there was just no editing out the things that some of this man says. And so we decided to air it raw and uncut as it played out on Facebook. This was all live on Facebook. So if you guys want to listen to that one, listener discretion advised, it will be available Wednesday on SoundCloud. And Annie says 
you know, the, the, he goes into graphic detail about a lot of things, not just about the murders that he say occurred on his property, but just his life in general. So it's important to hear this because you have to see the character you're dealing with. But some of the stories that he says does tie into the Samantha Burns case. And, and uh, it's just something you have to listen to in its entirety to really understand and to really comprehend what was going on with this. Because like Andy said, we could not delete it from the story because it's part of the story. And it's it led to another search for Samantha Burns and it kept her story in the limelight. So go over to the SoundCloud page and uh, both of these episodes will be released on the same day. But only one will be released on iTunes and Paranormal Warehouse. The one you're going to hear on iTunes and Paranormal Warehouse this week is the one that we are recording right now. Shay, this is a very special episode, I feel like. We always said when we started Missing Samantha Burns, we didn't know exactly where the story would end, if it would ever end. We have gotten such an outpouring from people who have listened to this series comments on our Facebook post, messages, private messages to Serial Spirits and to me and you, we felt like it was really important to share some of these messages with the rest of our listeners so you understand how this case still affects people today. It's been over a decade and people are still writing in with stories that they've heard. And that's, you know, led me to the theories that I've had the whole series is that somebody knows something. It wasn't just a hush-hush thing. Like There was word out, you know, because it's a small town and people knew something. And whether the stories turn out to be true, you know, there is some truth behind a lot of it. And we heard in the Bruce LeMaster episode that he was in, in close talks with Chad Falks for a while. And Chad Falks told him different stories than what he told his attorney, Matt Rawlings. So... Who's to say what the truth is, but there's still stories out there. And, you know, as many as there are, we want to hear them all. So that's what this episode kind of, we will we, get into that a little bit towards the end of the episode, but we do want to give the listeners uh, a voice here too, because we did get a lot of, a lot of people writing in. So we're going to, we're going to detail some of that stuff that people wrote to us and, and how they felt about this episode. Shay, what I'm going to read to you right now are a series of listener submissions about the case and the series Missing Samantha Burns. At the very end of this episode, we are actually bringing Bruce LeMaster back. Just yesterday, we received a message from Bruce. He has been receiving messages about Samantha's case as well since he was a part of Serial Spirits podcast a couple of weeks ago and due to the work that he has done on the case This has caused a resurgence of messages to him as well. Which is awesome. It's awesome. awesome. And it's crazy. He messaged us that the other day, and I'm going to let Bruce read that to you at the end of this episode, exactly what the message was that was sent to him. So you guys, at the end of this one, you will get to hear our most recent developments, which happened just yesterday with a message to Bruce LeMaster. But until then, let's get started with some of the listener submissions that we have received. So keep in mind too, like you hear, we just talked about Bruce LeMaster coming back on at the end of this episode. Okay. So keep in mind, we're recording this on Sunday, July 14th. We still have a phone call to make to a building that is open tomorrow. We, we need to dig in a little bit more from what, you know, this message that was received by Bruce. Uh, we need to do a little more research on it. So it's 
going to be interesting to find out what exactly happened here. And I can't wait to kind of just dig a little deeper into it because it's, it's, we both were a little, we just got out of the pool. We were both like, you know, just winding down from a Saturday and we got this message and we were both just like amped, like, oh my God, this could be something new, something new that nobody's heard yet. And what did we do? We got in the car immediately and went to the location that this person had messaged Bruce about to see it for ourselves. I was familiar with it. Shay, you were not. Um, And again, we'll get into that at the end of this episode. But I just want to convey to the listeners that this moment in time right now, this exact sentence that you're hearing from my mouth, we don't know. We don't don't know. know. We don't. It's going to be interesting. It could be a total dead end. It could be something that authorities may have known about. And then again, Maybe not. We have no way of knowing until we dig in deep. We can't do that until tomorrow when this building is actually open. Yeah. And it, it and the only reason it's so interesting and that you hear is because if you listen to the Bruce LeMaster episode, some of the details in this message that he received were details that were given by Chad Falks to Bruce LeMaster on one phone call. So, sorry, Annie, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead and... Like we've said before, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback about Missing Samantha Burns series. We've also gotten some negative. This first message came from Harriet Herring. She says, I downloaded your podcast and your investigation on Samantha Burns was really good. Anything you want to release on this ongoing case would be great in my opinion. Thanks for putting out a great podcast. I enjoyed the format that you've chosen and you don't bore listeners. Thanks. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you. We try not to be boring, but that's also something that's really important for us to hear because we did get a lot of flack for bringing this case back into the public eye again. And so it's it's important for us to hear that people still support that we're putting out this information. We get that some of these cases are very sensitive. It is something that neither Annie and I have really dealt with as far as personally, and I understand that people get upset and, you know, don't want to just rehash the past, but it's important, like I keep conveying, it is important to keep these stories alive because whether or not somebody's been brought to justice, in this case, there is somebody whose remains have never been found. And if there is any way, any possible way to bring this woman home to her family, that's what it is all about at the end of the day. Listener Kim Mead wrote in in reference to Matt Rawlings' interview. Kim says, It was tough to listen to. I can't imagine what the poor family has been through. It was interesting to hear it told from a different perspective. The whole thing is just heartbreaking, especially to think she may never be found. Matt Rawlings' perspective was an amazing perspective to have on this case because he was on the inside. He sat face to face and heard in detail the confession that this Chad Falks had given, you know, no one had talked to Brandon Basham. So it was kind of a lost cause there. But to hear, you know, in detail what Chad had told him, the areas that they had brought her to uh, was pretty, pretty awesome, you know, to be able to hear and to record. And, and Matt is not, you know, he's not a kind of guy to sound like he's gonna to BS you. He pretty much just told it straightforward how it was, you know, and it was just an incredible interview and we cut some of it out because you know there was other stuff we talked about but I mean it it really is cool when you can sit down with these people who have an insight on these cases and get their perspective and get their you know opinion on what exactly happened and just like Kim talks about I think it was the first time in the past 17 years 
since Amanda has disappeared, that someone who was on the inside of the case actually said the words, I don't think she'll ever be found. That's hard to hear, but that's something that people need to hear who have fought for this case, who have searched for Samantha. I think it was important for everyone to hear that because he did have an inside view of what happened during that timeline. And again, I I just think with it being the first time that we ever heard those words, I don't think she'll ever be found. It was difficult and and powerful and it affected people. And that's part of the whole thing too is people get upset when when they hear that stuff and they don't know how to process it. And and that's understandable because grief does different things to other, everybody. One of the things that I would like to say about that is that we we don't mean to disrespect, we don't mean to to offend, we just want to keep this case in the limelight. I can't convey that enough. I can't say those words enough. And Matt Rawlings offered that perspective. And it was a perspective that people had not heard before, a theory that no one had heard before. And if they did hear it, it wasn't brought to the public's eye. So the truth sometimes does hurt a lot, but the truth needs to be told. Listener Lauren Weatherall says, reading this gave me chills. I don't know why. I have always felt so attached to this case. Even as a young girl, I walked the creeks looking for her. Again, it just goes back to how this affected people personally. Lauren was a kid when Samantha went missing, and people were out driving and looking. And we're going to hear from another listener in a minute that said basically the same thing. But I don't know how many messages we got that said that same thing. I walked looking for her. My family went on these expeditions looking for her remains. It affected so many people. It had such a broad reach. For those of you who are just tuning in to Serial Spirits, the podcast uh, from this series we're doing on Missing Samantha Burns, we did an episode um, called Cropsy, uh, the Staten Island Boogeyman. And it was about this man who supposedly, he was accused of killing all these children with special needs, had Down syndrome. And one of those victims ended up being a third cousin of mine. And I was a little kid when this happened. It happened in the 80s in New York. And I remember vividly, like, my dad going on these searches. And I talk about that in that episode. And and it stuck with me because, you know, I remember dad going out after work and coming home all sweaty and covered in dirt because he'd been trekking through the woods. So these cases, even if it's not a personal family member, it affects so many people. It's a ripple effect because there's so many people out searching, hoping that they find something, some clue somewhere. So I can see how, you know, a case like this affected all these people, even if they didn't have any, any ties to the family or anything. It was a community that was affected by a horrible tragedy by two selfish people who decided they were going to go on this crime spree and get whatever they wanted, however they wanted. And it turned into all this tragedy for so many people, not just in West Virginia, but Alice Donovan's family too was affected. And it's, it's, it was a tragic, tragic story. Kelly Hint wrote in, Hi, I was listening to your podcast. The part about the initials at the end of the letters, is it possible it's the staff member who took dictation for him with their initials at the end? Where I work, when we write letters for illiterate inmates, we put our initials at the bottom. Also, our inmate legal aides type theirs at the end of paperwork that go to attorneys for the inmates. 
She says this in reference to Chad Folks. Straight convict. The deceptive con mentality. He was raised to be a thief, and it seems he still is. I was working at the mall the night Samantha disappeared. I was closing in Elder Beerman and left out of there maybe 15 minutes after she last spoke to her parents. I have thought about her a lot since then. We have a lot of inmates that score with a low IQ, and our mental health staff have always said, unless it falls within the range of the 60s, they are very capable of knowing what they're doing. I have interviewed guys that, speaking with them, I would think there was no way they could have been violent. But then I crack open the case files, and it's wild, the difference. They are crafty with words. Some could win Oscars. And I 100% believe that. And I said that from day one about Chad Falks. We never talked to Brandon Basham. We don't know. But Chad Falks is very deceptive. In his letters to Annie that you heard, he's deceptive. He's he, he's trying to win you over with his, uh, I'm alone, I'm by myself, I've tried so hard to help the families. And then it comes into, I want money from you. I don't know for a fact, but I can honestly guarantee you he was present when both of these women were killed. He was. He was standing there watching. And he's told so many different stories over the years. I think something terrible happened to Samantha, and he's too cowardly to admit exactly what they did to her. But he was there. He was there when Alice Donovan was murdered, and he was there when Samantha Burns was murdered. He wasn't sitting in the car waiting. He was present. He was there. He saw it happen. He's very deceptive. Since we recorded our podcast with Bruce Lamaster, he has received another letter from Chad Folks, and hopefully we can hear that at the end of this episode as well. But it ties into the letters that he wrote to me and exactly what Kelly is saying right here about the deceptive con mentality. So it just goes to show you there, like hopefully this letter that he reads to us, uh, it just goes to show you right there that there is a deceptive personality. He has no money. He's asking for more money. And his payoff is going to be, I'm going to tell you a story. And at this point, it's just, it's null and void, man. Like you, you, you don't need money to tell somebody where their family member is. Like he, he is, he's manipulative. And I have no qualms saying he is 100% exactly where he belongs. Our next listener submission is an important one because it came from someone who actually knew the family. Rosette Pardue Stewart wrote, Hi, Annie. Big fan of the podcast. I wanted to thank you so much for keeping Sammy's story alive. I am her god aunt, and even though I left West Virginia in 1999, I have always followed her story in every way possible. I know how hard this has been, not only on Johnny and Candy, but on Bobby and Della, as well as her aunts and uncles. I hope that you, along with Bruce on Killer's Crawl Space, keep bringing us news and keep her name in the forefront of people's minds until she is finally brought home. That's pretty powerful. To me, that was that was so sad. She sent that yeah. to my personal page. We were not friends on there, and so it came up as a, a message request from an outside uh, person. And I read it, and that last line just jerks at your heartstrings. It's just, it, it's so sad to me. Well, thank you for that submission. And that's the whole purpose of this. The whole purpose is we have an interest in these stories. We have an interest to hopefully solve some of these stories. I mean, be part of solving the story because it, it's it's something that people forget. They just go about their daily lives and they forget about all these things. But there is a family behind that is hurting that is never going to get over this tragedy. If there's just a little bit of hope or light for these people, like, you know, that's what this is about, bringing them closure. And if you can keep these stories ongoing, then that's we'll continue to do that. 
So thank you. Listener Courtney Klein wrote, Hi, I just came across your podcast and have been listening to the Samantha Burns episodes. I grew up in that area on Route 75 close to Rocky Tops Pizza. I grew up running those roads. I was 12 years old when it happened, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I grew up on the other side of the small patch of woods behind the old Buffalo hardware store where they searched for her multiple times. I played in that patch of woods with my friends almost daily. It shakes me to my core thinking about it. I remember the week that she went missing. My mom and I drove around for hours just looking for her. When they found her car, we drove that road up and down just looking for any sign of her. And the image of the burned spot on the ground where they burned her car is forever in my mind. I haven't heard that on the podcast yet, or maybe I missed it, but I remember that vividly. Every time I'm visiting there and we happen to pass that small gravel area, I get chills thinking about the events that I now know happened that night. I just wanted to share that and tell you guys that I'm so happy that you're doing something based on this case. It's a part of my childhood that I will never forget. I've always wondered why you don't hear more about it and why it kind of fizzled out after a while. I remember feeling so confident that they would find her body. I can still feel the way it shook our community as a whole. My best friend and I have spent hours reading the public case reports in the past because it's so hard to wrap your mind around something that heinous done so close to home. It has really been cool to listen to the episodes and learn things that we didn't know and to hear interviews from people more closely involved. It definitely brings light to the case that we may not have ever seen had you guys not dove right in and started getting this information. I can speak for both of us when I say we will be loyal listeners for sure. That means that means a lot. Like actually your message gave me goosebumps and that's what it's about. I mean, I, I say that's what it's about. And I honestly am I'm not a local of, West, of Huntington, West Virginia. I never heard about this case until... Jimmy Heisel's videos came out, which I still was still in the dark a little bit about, you know, what was even going on? Who was this guy? And Annie being a local of West Virginia, going to college, playing sports against Samantha, uh, it just, it, it, you don't hear much about this case. And it's sad. And I don't understand why, because it's still technically a missing persons case. This person, you know, is said to be murdered, but there's been no body. And, and it's hard to imagine that there isn't more people bringing this out and more people talking about it. The other interesting part in this are people who have written to me saying, you're from Huntington. Do you remember this specific case? I'm sure that all small towns have their missing persons and unsolved cases. Huntington has quite a few that have really stayed in the backs of everyone's minds for years. We plan to do another one in the near future that Lauren Weatherall wrote to me about, and it's one that I had always remembered. We're just starting the research phase on this case. But it makes you wonder why these cases fizzle out. What happens? Is it our local law enforcement not having the manpower, not having the know-how to deal with cases that are so broad that everyone knows about and is hearing about. Why do these cases disappear? These people cannot just disappear. I think a lot of stuff has to do with, you look at uh, statistically some of these small towns, you know, they don't have the financial backing. 
that a lot of big towns do. So they don't have the manpower. They don't have the funding to use the different techniques and tools or have the training that a lot of these big cities do. I think that falls into the category of it too. And also, you know, you look at the culture of a lot of places in West Virginia, it's very, you know, a lot of church going people, a lot of people who are, who are very good down to earth people and they just want the case solved and wrapped up. And as sad as that is, there is a lot of times where they just want to hurry up and just get it over with, find the first person who's involved and throw the, and slam them, you know, throw the book at them. Yes. In this case, Chad Folks and Brandon Basham are both on death row for the murder of Samantha Burns, but there are other cases that are totally unsolved and we want to get into those as well. So it ties into a lot of what that last message said. And thank you, Courtney, for writing into that. That that means a lot. And when we say that your messages like that do not fall on deaf ears, we mean that. And we plan to dig into some of these other cases that have stumped me for years. Anybody who's listening, you don't have to be from West Virginia. You don't have to be from Ohio. If you hear this podcast and you know of a case that has been hand mishandled or they're just it just went away and people just don't talk about it anymore and there's no outcome to it please tell us we'll do our research we'll do the due diligence that we can to keep these stories alive because that's why we started this we look at a lot of things uh that maybe law enforcement doesn't look at we try to find people that maybe don't really people think relate to the case but really do and I will say this over and over again till people get tired of hearing it. And then I'll still say it. Somebody always knows something. And it might be the smallest detail that solves a case. With that being said, let's launch into our interview again with Bruce LaMaster. This just happened as of yesterday. We called Bruce to read this latest message to us something that someone wrote to him about another possible tip to where Samantha may rest. Hey, it's Brendan Shea from Serial Spirits, the podcast. Do you know where I go when I want to hear great programming about the paranormal and true crime? I go to ParanormalWarehouse.com. That's right, ParanormalWarehouse.com has an array of different programs for you to listen to to get your paranormal fix. They also do a lot of live streams from haunted locations. So if you, like me, are an addict of the paranormal and you need to get your fix right away, go to www.ParanormalWarehouse.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the second half of Serial Spirits podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Guys, at the beginning of this episode, we said we were bringing back a very special guest. We have him on the line with us right now, investigator and host of Killer's Crawlspace podcast. Bruce LeMaster is back with us. Bruce, how are you? Uh, Not too bad. So, Bruce, we Mm -hmm. said in the first time that we had you on Serial Spirits, and we were talking about the research that you did in Samantha's case that if we had any new information to share with our listeners, that we would do so. And you messaged me on Saturday, today is Monday, that you had received a very strange message from someone who is a local 
about information possibly pertaining to where Samantha's remains could be. Yes. And the message blew me out of the water. I called Bruce immediately and said, do you think there's any way that there could be any viable information that comes from this message? And so, Bruce, if you would, if you could read that message that you received on Saturday, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay, yeah, the lady messaged me, and she said, I wrote to you before about growing up with Chad Fox. I was talking with family today about him and the Samantha Burns case, and it was mentioned that best brother Larry, which is now deceased, was saying that Samantha is buried under the DHHR office in Huntington. Supposedly, the footers had been poured for the foundation, and this rests beside a railroad track as well as the Buffalo Creek location. I know it is a long shot, but wanted to see if this has ever been mentioned to you. So, number one, I'm going to say, uh, I, I'm not going to say the girl's name that wrote to you, but I know her husband, and they come from a reputable family. I don't have any reason to believe that they would be making any of this up. Do you? I, I don't see anything that they could be making it up either. She talks about Beth. And if anybody doesn't remember or you're just tuning in for the first time, Beth was someone who pay, played an integral part in Chad and Brandon's crimes after the murders were committed. Beth was a friend of Chad Folks. And when the guys were on the run back to Kentucky, back to their hometowns, they actually stayed with Beth for a period of time. And Beth claimed that she and Brandon Basham had a relationship, I would assume a sexual relationship, for a few days. She even said at one point that Brandon Basham gave her Samantha Burns heart-shaped ring. So this is someone who has been in the case for a long time, was never charged with any type of crime. And this listener messages you and says that her brother, who is now deceased, has given this information to her. To me, that's mind-blowing. Yes, I, I just don't, I'm not sure exactly, because last time I talked to an FBI investigator, uh, well, the first time I talked to him, one of them, like, it had been a few years ago, and he was, like, on the verge of, I think he had cancer, if I remember correctly. And, like, he was on death's door then. So he's been dead within the past little bit, I would say, but I'm not sure exactly when. So immediately when you get this information, the thought goes through your mind, okay, let's try to verify this. Mm -hmm. The location that she's talking about is the West Virginia or the Cabell County Department of Health and Human Resources, which is a newer building that was built on the outskirts of Huntington. So kind of to set up the location for listeners, this is about 10 minutes from where Chad and Brandon stayed in that cheap motel the night that they murdered Samantha. And so it's not far from there. And when she talks about the railroad tracks and she talks about the creek that runs through there, she's absolutely correct. So the scene that she's setting there makes sense, number one. And so 
Bruce, you reached out to a couple of people to try to verify that time frame, right? Yeah, like I said, I haven't heard back from her family yet, but I reached out to her aunt to see if this has ever been, you know, mentioned to them. Because as far as I've been reading on things throughout all these, you know, few years, I've not ever been told that or heard that. So that's why, like I said, I don't know if he told that before he died or it's just something that's been rumored or what. Like, I'm not sure when he he pronounced this, you know, to anybody, but with her saying this now and bringing it to my attention, it kind of makes me wonder on it like you know this could be true so i'm waiting to get it confirmed to see if it's ever been confirmed you know that anything's ever happened that they searched it or looked into it but i was able to get a hold of a guy this morning you know i told him you know if they knew anything about huntington in the last 20 years to message me well this guy messages me didn't tell him nothing i was just like you know do you know anything about the building and he's like oh yeah i live right behind there so uh he actually sent me a picture from his uh, from inside of him being right behind that building. I was like, well, do you know anything that's been done to it recently? Well, within, you know, 2002, 2003, and he said that the only thing recently that he knew of was the park, but he'd only been there since 2008. So he told me to hold on. I guess he went and talked to somebody there because he told me that the lady said that they'd been there since 2003, shortly after the building's been built. So if that's the case, the building could have been you know in the process of being built in 2002 when all that went down so samantha disappears november of 2002 and this guy is telling you that it is very plausible that that is the same time that this building was being constructed very possible like i talked to somebody else too that's from the area and they said they think too it's around 2002 when it was starting to be built but they were saying like go to the cabell courthouse and see if they they could uh, be able to tell, you know, exactly when the building was put in effect. I reached out to someone as well today through a coworker who works currently at the DHHR. Uh, we, we put out a couple of messages to people who have worked in the county system uh, to see if they can confirm that. And we have yet to hear back from them. I tried to search through some local news records and newspapers. I haven't come up with anything yet. The courthouse would be a great place because I think at this point to to verify when it opened, we might actually have to go back to, I don't know if you'd have to look at some type of building inspection. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. The building is not very old. So the time frame seems plausible. I'm like yeah. you. I don't yeah. ever remember hearing in the local news that that area was searched either. Well, if anything, like I said, you, you probably should check at the building department. That would be the place to go because they would have had to have inspections and everything else. That's the, the best the best place probably to look. And if I can interject with like what this girl said about this, one of the things that stuck in my mind was what Chad had told you, Bruce, that they had taken railroad stones down there as part of what they, they buried her with. And... That's right next to a railroad track. So, I mean, when I saw that immediately, I was like, man, this, this does. This makes sense. This makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Because um, the thing that kind of strikes me, like I said, with the railroad tracks being there, but from my understanding, before that building was put there, a guy said it was like baseball field or something. Like, I guess it was kind of like a, if it was just field, you know, nobody's going to be there in the middle of the night. Like, it's more like a secluded area where you'd be able to do something. Somebody might not see you out there. Right. 
There is. There's actually a softball baseball field that's right there, and it's been there. It was there before DHHR was built because when I was in high school in late 90s, early 2000, uh, we used to play softball there occasionally. So the field was, in my recollection, the first thing that was there. And then all these other structures have been built up around that. It's been since I was in high school. And I graduated high school in 2001 because I don't remember most of those structures. We actually drove out there on Saturday. I do not remember most of those structures being there when we were in high school. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, if this is something that could turn out to be a possible lead, then I guess your next step is to contact local authorities, wouldn't you think? Yeah, the only thing I kind of wonder on, like, since the building's there, would they actually go further and try to find out if she actually is buried under there? And I don't know how you would go about doing something like that other than like ground penetrating radar. If you're talking mm-hmm. about looking for human remains buried in concrete footers and then, yeah, it would be a huge disruption to go in and this is a very busy building to yeah. go in and start looking and possibly, you know, tearing up concrete, but at the same time, you have a due diligence to say, listen, this is something that came from a a source that was very close to the case at that time. You're talking about Beth's brother. She was a major player. It could be something. Yeah, that's kind of the way I like. I don't want to close the door on it because like it so far, everything's kind of added up. Like, like I said, throughout the year, it could be legit. Like, everything's adding up to it. Railroad tracks, water, like, everything's right there. The only thing that I'm kind of, that you kind of look at those, like the Buffalo Creek that he talked about, you know, he went into so much detail about that. Just like with the Alice Donovan, you know, he went into so much detail to Monica of where Alice was at. Like, like he went, so I I guess in a way you could say he went into a lot of detail with the Buffalo Creek, but then again, he might've just been meaning a different location. Right. But while he mentioned, you know, the pizza place, Rocky top, the hardware store and all that, unless there's stuff yeah. in that area that it would be fit for that. And you're talking about the area of route 75 and Rocky tops pizza. Mm-hmm. It's probably what 15 minutes maybe from the DHHR location. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly, roughly about that. Yeah. But then again, if you're high on meth and you're not entirely sure of how the night played out, you know, they could have started at Rocky Tops. They could have taken this path back to, um, back through Huntington to Canova because there are little kind of back roads that you can take to avoid the main drags of downtown Huntington. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking like, you know, you're two guys who just murdered somebody. You've got a body in the back of your car and you're trying to avoid the cops. Let's take the back roads that somebody like Chad may have known because he's from the area. Yeah. uh, If I got it right, I talked to somebody that knew 
well, they talked to somebody they knew where Chad uh, lived at. And if, if the house that I found, if that's the same house he lived in in Huntington, it would be about eight miles, eight to nine miles from the DHHR office. Right. So I guess now we just wait. You know, you've reached out to Samantha's aunt. Um, we've reached out to other people about the time frame in which the DHHR building was built. And so now we just wait mm -hmm. and see if anything else plays out from this. I, I don't know what to say other than I feel like it could be something that needs to be brought to the attention of law enforcement if mm -hmm. the timing of that building plays out. Yes, I, yes, I agree. That's one thing, like, I was, you know, thinking on, like, you know, even if, say, hey, you know, you let law enforcement know, and they're like, well, there's nothing we can do about it, or they won't do anything about it, it would be nice that they do do at least something, because, you know, most people right now is thinking that she's in the river, you know, uh, the Ohio River right now, and now there's a chance that she might, her remains might not be actually lost, like a lot of people think it is. Right. She could actually be underneath the building. Which, like you said earlier, it's a lot of work that they're going to have to do. But what kind of evidence will they need before they'll do it, though? Right. Might not even be might not even be under the building. It could be in the parking lot. You know, it's just a big ground to search. That's what kind of sucks with Larry dying. Like that's like could they like if he was still alive? You know, they could talk to him and be like, hey, right. you know what's you know where did you hear this? Did you hear this from Beth or from you know where's your source too? So it's going to kind of come down to if the family's already heard it and they've already investigated into it, then I kind of don't know where it would go from there. Right. That's what kind of knowing you're kind of on the edge of like, well, have they already looked into it? Have they not? But you would think that would be public knowledge if they've looked there. Because most of the places I've seen is, you know, Guyandot River, you know, Buffalo Creek, uh, a couple other places out in that way, but never anything in that area that we're focused on right now. I've never heard it either. And it almost sounds like maybe Larry made almost like a deathbed confession. You know, if this is something that's happened in the past few years or whatever, like guy was trying to get something really deep off his chest before he passed into the great beyond. And I, who knows what it could lead to. It could be nothing or it could be something. And at this point, I think any lead that you have that hasn't been approached by law enforcement that could be an, a viable option needs to be checked into because we have nothing else for her case. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, again, since we spoke with you last, I think you mentioned you got another letter from Chad, right? No, I haven't got one yet. Or oh, oh, okay. are you talking about the last one? I did get the that last one. But, yeah, I think. With but the money. After, with the money. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay. I, that was after, I believe, after we did our last interview with you. Yeah. You sent me a picture of uh, of a letter that you received, and it was Chad, and he was up to his old shenanigans again. Yeah, I just got the discount, though, than what you got. <laughs> what? Uh, how long was it since you heard from him the last time? Before this uh, letter? I'm trying to think. It's been a while. Cause like I said, when all that stuff with Jimmy, like I think the last thing might have been through email, but like everything 
I'd send him letters, you know, print off pictures and stuff and say, hey, you know, this is possible the location, you know, going off the Buffalo Creek. And he'd be like, well, I sent you a letter. And I'd be like, you know, waiting. Because usually his letters took a few days, maybe a week tops. But, you know, two weeks go by. I'm like, hey, I never got it. And he'd be like, well, I sent it. Well, then he had me contact people locally that he knew. And I was like, hey, Chad, want you to talk to him? Well, they would write him and they're like, well, I just got Chad's letter today. I'm like, why am I not getting nothing? I'm like, if he's sending it out, so that's why I kind of just figured he just wasn't replying back to me and just saying he was. But it's been because he took me off the email list earlier this year. So it would be 2017, early 2018, probably roughly. And so here out of the blue in June, you get a letter from him again. Well, I did write him. Right. Uh, like, I wrote him not too long before that, and I, like, I wasn't expecting nothing because, what was it? Yeah, December is when I last got that email from him, December of 2018. That's what I was telling you about. He was, like, sent it to a bunch of people wanting money. Right. You know, and I never responded back to him. But to actually, you know, respond back to him, it's been, you know, before then. But, yeah, I wrote him a letter, like, saying, hey, you know, what's going on? And then, you know, he finally responded back, and I actually got a letter. And so basically he was just up to his old shenanigans again, just asking for money, right? Yeah, that's what, like I said, before he's mentioned it, but he's always, you know, been more willing to work. So I don't know if he's just wanting money for something else or what. But yeah, he was basically, you know, if you really care, like kind of trying to down you as a person, like, hey, if you really care about this, you're going to send this to me. Right. And then, then I'll send you everything because you can't find her without all these, you know, all these files. Which is basically the same thing that he said to me. Yeah. And then he's almost like shaming you for not sending him money and not responding to him. But that leads into another interesting development that we've seen in communication with Chad. Something called Lost Vault that you brought to my attention today that absolutely blew my mind. Mm-hmm. So, what is Lost Vault? Yeah, it was kind of funny. like I was actually when I was trying to find out because there was a psychic page that had Chad's house on on it, and I was trying to find out if the address was on there. Well, I googled you know his house, and then when I'm strolling through pictures, I find that ad. I'm like, holy crap! Like, because I, I I know the website because my uh, friend uh, Tim Hoffner that I deal with and stuff from Ohio he had me put an ad on there for him but it's basically a location well website for inmates death row inmates I'm not sure if it goes to all inmates or just death row but they basically like he had me do it but I'm not sure if all inmates need other but they gave like their age you know their height weight details of them and then it's basically a pen pal website for death row inmates So you can go onto this website, Bruce, you sent me a screenshot of, uh, what, what Chad folks lost vault, um, account looks like. And it's Mm kind of like a match.com for people who are on death row. It describes, like you said, it gives their physical details. It describes their hobbies and what they like to do. And it describes how you can reach them. But what got to me was the caption below the um, the lostvault.com. And it said something, I believe it's like, 
for those lost in the prison system. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's my personal two cents on that. I don't think there's anything lost about Chad folks or any of the confessed murderers in the prison system. It's almost like they're giving these guys another way to try to exploit people like they've been doing through mail, through email, by phone for years. It blows my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I understand that prisoners are humans and they have to have basic human rights too. But at the same time, how much is too much? Oh yeah. So it just makes you wonder if he has reached out to us, he's asked us for money and made promises of all these things. How many people have found him through Lost Vault that he's done the exact same thing? That's what makes me angry, is that it's almost like these prisoners now have more rights than the people that they murdered did. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's completely messed up. That is something about our system that is failing. They have yeah. more rights than some of the family members of the, the people that they murdered. Right. And that's, that's what gets to me. That's what I don't understand is how this happens. I know some of them. I know Tim that I talked to. Like he, I know, I don't know if he's got or not, but they got like uh, JPay. That's where a lot of them can email and stuff. It's basically like a player they have where they can, you know, emails, take, uh, buy like music and stuff off of and basically look like like a tablet basically is what what it is it just it blows my mind again shay like you said some of these prisoners it seems like they have more rights than the family members do you know the cases seem to be stifled and here are these death row inmates who are reaching out who are quote lost in the system basically playing a really weird like tender website trying to meet people yes well i kind of wonder about like finding that because he posted it you know had it posted september of 2018 so it's not been fairly old but like when i first wrote him back in 2014 you know he said that he received letters like mine of you know people asking about where samantha and everything's like that that so I'm kind of wondering if somebody, because you know most people, when they're going to write somebody, you know why, like you're going to look who they, while they're in prison for. And if it's somebody, like you said, he might be able to suck somebody in, like, oh, I got all these files, then what if exactly. somebody sent them money? And then he's like, well, I'll give you the files. And, you know, he could just never send them. And then when they're like, hey, I sent you money, what's going on? I'd be like, I sent the files. You should have got them by now and just never sent right. them. Right. Or I never received your money or whatever. Yeah. It blows my mind again, all over again. The more that we talk about this case and the more that people reach out to us, it, it just, it is mind boggling. And that's why we wanted to do this episode with the listener submissions, because we want to give everyone a voice. We want to give a voice to those who may not have had a voice before. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're going to wrap it up here. Shay, what are your final thoughts about these developments? I think it's very interesting, and I think it's a very plausible uh, area where if they were going to 
you know, bury her somewhere. I mean, it would make sense to me. You know, it's a construction site. There's digging. There's everything else going on. Why not? You know what I mean? And knowing that it would never be discovered because it's going to be concreted over and everything else. As far as Chad Falks goes and his little Tinder profile that he's got in prison, he can be lost for all I care. Because like I said, I think he, I I keep saying it, he's exactly where he's supposed to be. So, Mm -hmm. Agreed. And Bruce, as far as the developments, what are your final thoughts and, and where do you move forward with it from here? Uh, basically everything we've talked about, I'm going to continue trying to figure out, like I said, if it's been brought up before at all. And if I find out it hasn't, then see where they want to go with it and say, hey, because I, I personally think the information, like, you know, I'm still having that hope for it. So I personally think the information should be taken further. Even like, like if the cops can do a little bit of anything, you know, to try to verify something out of it will be a progress that we, that needs to be made on this tip. I agree with that 100%. So, Bruce, as always, thank you for coming on Serial Spirits. This seems to be an open-ended discussion. And so, like we've said before on so many episodes, as soon as any other information becomes available, if it becomes available to us about this tip that you have received or anything else, then we'll have you back on to discuss it further with our listeners. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Bruce. Again, Bruce. All right, thank you. As for now, that wraps up our series, Missing Samantha Burns. If any more information becomes available after the research that we do in light of this new message sent to Bruce, we will absolutely let you know. But until then, we are resting our case for now. We've done our research. We've put the stories out there that we feel like listeners needed to know, needed to understand, to understand the murders of Samantha Burns and Alice Donovan. And so until anything further comes to light for us, we are going to let this case rest. Once again, thank you for listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Check us out weekly on Paranormal Warehouse at ParanormalWarehouse.com, on iTunes at Serial Spirits, and on SoundCloud. Please rate and review the show. Follow us on all your social media apps. Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits, and on Instagram. Until next time, be aware and be safe.